All right, the second lecture in the American Lit series. Um, so the first time I talked about the major, you know, I don't know, themes or patterns that are laid down the founding of the country, and then we're approaching this crucial period from, you know, 1900 to 1945, or however you want to, you know, move those dates a little bit either way. But so I talked about the fact that you have these huge influences of the West African cultural influence from the uh, slave society that was created. You have the founding fathers who are primarily informed by European traditions and the Enlightenment. You have a, a very strong mercantilist tradition, of course. Um, and then, of course, you have the, the religious communities and the continuing influence of uh, religion and the, and the conflict of religion, actually, which is one of the curious aspects, which I'll talk about in another lecture. Today, I'd like to say, okay, so now if we move forward a little bit, those what happens and what gets overlaid on those very deep, deep uh, structures. Um, another crazy thing, like I said, I talked about migration to the cities that was going on, and I talked about the Great Northern Migration. Um, but actually what happens is three major population shifts take place simultaneously, or, or pretty much simultaneously, between 1900 and you know 1940. Um, and they've really shaped a lot about our society ever since and certainly influenced the literature, where the literature is coming from, the themes of the literature, the major, you know, streams that you get coming out of, of American literature come from um, this amazing, again, transformation of this period. One um, is the Western move. So, um, again, I'm trying to find little markers to help us conceptualize the, the nature of these amazing transformations. And, and one of them is, if you look at the population of California in 1900, it's less than um, 2 million. By 1940, it's probably a little more than 8 million. By 1950, it's 10 million. <clears throat> so in you know 40 or 50 years, you have a more than 4 to five time multiple of population. So, I mean, this is just a really dramatic shift uh, of people across the continent. What's curious about this is there, the, the, there was some infill, of course, but the West, as popular interest to the West Coast in this sense, is really just, it just takes off, takes off, and particularly California. And so what this brings with it, of course, is a couple of aspects of it. The encounter with sort of real untouched nature is sort of still there. And, you know, so this is where, you, you know, you get these generations of naturalist writers that are influenced by the West Coast, often from the East, because, you know, most people were. I mean, there's not a lot of native Californians per se. California, you know, not had been a state, but for seven minutes at this point. Um, and so you get this uh, uh, influx of Easterners to the West, and that encounter with the West has several significant impacts. But this is the kind of writing where, you know, you're going to get someone like Steinbeck, right? He's writing with a, a sensibility that is encountering the West, right? It's not native to the West. It's encountering these big expanses. You know, you get a photographer like Ansel Adams. A little later, you get a painter like Georgia O'Keeffe who's painting the Southwest, right? So this whole sort of previously moderately empty um, area, except for, of course, Native American cultures, which get overwritten in Spanish American culture, by the way, which will finally come later. We'll see both those influences coming later. Um, but you, you get this whole school of, of writers. Mike Tw Mark Twain actually does some writing about this, actually a huge traveler. Um, but yeah, this so you get this one migration west, you know, California, Washington, Oregon, 
And with that, you bring these new elements, the, the natural element. Um, again, you can see this in Steinbeck. You know, you get the Dust Bowl migration. You get the, the agricultural notion. Um, and then you get the encounter significantly with the long already present influence of uh, Chinese and Japanese uh, culture that was on the West Coast because, of course, Pacific Ocean looks out to uh, China and Asia generally. And so those influences were there, but they won't show up again for another generation of writers. But we're starting to, to go that way. So that's one of the migrations that you're going to see that heavily influences the themes and ideas of, uh, of American literature. A second one, again, between 1900 and 1915-ish, again, you know, turn of the century, round, round dates, uh, about 15 million immigrants come into the country. Now, this is a lot of immigrants coming in. Um, and what's significant about this wave of immigration, again, that's in 15 years, so about a million, a million people a year coming in. Um, much of this is coming from Italy, uh, Poland, Russia, Eastern Europe, Southern Southern Europe. So it's a it's a different, it's a new influence uh, in American culture, and they're predominantly, although not exclusively, but predominantly moving to the cities. So this is another reason. I talked about Chicago and New York and these urban centers booming. Well, one reason they're booming is because you're getting these immigrant populations coming from overseas into the cities. And so they're just exploding. Um, and they're bringing new cultural, religious, um, linguistic uh, character. And so this is where you get like a lot of the Yiddish literature in America. This is where you get a whole generation of uh, great or several generations of great uh, American Jewish writers rise up out of these uh, immigrant groups that have moved into the different major American cities, New York, of course, being most famous, but they're all over the major American cities. And so that cultural influence becomes really strong uh, in American literature. I mean, if you look at a list of American Jewish writers, it's you know, more or less endless, but this is, this is where it really starts to pick up steam. And then third, uh, which I mentioned before, is you get the Great Migration. And the book here I should mention, if you're, if you're interested in this subject, which I think people should be, if you're interested in American history, it's sort of key, uh, Warmth of Other Suns. I think, did she win the Pulitzer Prize for it? National Book Award for it. Anyway, won a major award. She's brilliantly written, brilliantly researched. It's a pleasure to read, easy read, you know, just, um, and uh, it's just a, what a wonderful book, wonderful book, highly recommended. But it documents, and this kicks off a little later, about 1916, but it's because that was the impus. It, all, it was already going on, but it really picks up steam around 1916. And this is the Southern African-American uh, population moving north for the industrial jobs that, the economy was already rolling, the industrial jobs was happening, the migration was underway. And then when World War I shuts down the factories of Europe, shins all their capital here and orders every possible good that we can produce, wow, now the, what, was a, what was a stream becomes a river, becomes and then eventually a flood of this out-migration to, to jobs in the north. And, you know, again... The impact on American culture, dynamic demographics, everything is huge. What's what makes it tricky um, is, and this is why often if you study American literature, you know you'll get, oh, we're going to do African American literature, we're going to do the Harlem Renaissance, we're going to do, you know, Jewish American literature. Let's do the literature of natural, right? It, because there's so much writing going on in these different genres, but it's all happening simultaneously, and that's what I guess what I'm trying to drive at here is. 
often this is divided, but it, it, it's, if you look at the dates, it's like, oh, hey, wait a second, this all overlaps simultaneously. What's going on here? Why, why is there so much richness and diversity and, and I mean, really striking uh, dissimilarity and themes and outlook and everything else? What unifies it, if anything, I don't know, can you be unified by disunity? But what unifies it is it is the um, literature of this dynamism, of, of this uh, plurality of voices, of uh, people moving to new places, encountering new experiences, and throwing up uh, the responses to these sort of uh, to this just great, you know, uh, migration and, 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 and encounter of the new, the unseen to you. I mean, not that it wasn't known before, but it's to you and your people. And now you're writing and you're writing from this collision place. So it's a lot of, again, you know, Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath and, and these sorts of things. You know, he's, he's talking about people who are struggling often in new places to get to new places, to find new places, to adapt to new places. That, you know, that's a lot of the literature, a lot of the literature that you get. The Yiddish, Yiddish literature comes out of like this tension of like, oh, the old traditions, our language, our culture, our communities, what's going on? It's, you know, it's not the way it used to be. Um, and, and Barzon, a thinker of whom I'm, I'm a big fan, once called romanticism. He says what unifies romanticism is that it's trying to make new that it discovers what it what it thinks is sort of a, a, a not very good place, a sort of a wasteland or rubble. Our old systems have been destroyed, and so everybody's trying to make new. Well, everybody tries to make new in their own way, so it's all very different. He says, like, if you try to look for all the similar themes and all this and all of romanticism, he says there's a few, but mostly what unifies them is the fact that they all felt this powerful need to make new and I think in American literature, you see uh, something like that. Not that it's the Romantic movement, by the way, but it's that you do see something like this, where you have a whole, you know, many distinct cultural groups, many distinct regional groups, all struggling with the same problem. Hey, we're on the move. New people are moving in. We're moving out. The new language groups, new cultural events, new encounters, and boom. All of a sudden, again, you know, you throw up your Steinbecks and your Ansel Adams and, um, you know, just the whole ranges of literary and cultural musical uh, moments. And again, uh, it's not a coincidence that some of our greatest American composers come out of this collisions. I mean, this is where, you know, your, your Gershwins and your Copelands are coming from. They're, they're incorporating this new themes, these new ideas. They have the classical education, they know the classical literature, but they've also encountered the new rhythms, right? They've encountered the new sounds, and they've, uh, they've seen uh, rural America. They've seen these big open expanses. They've seen the city and the dynamism. They've started to hear jazz music and then and the rhythms of jazz. In fact, one of my, my great details about Copeland, um, certainly one of our great American composers, is that he said he didn't really understand jazz had not really he may had heard jazz but it really hadn't sort of sunk into him until he heard a jazz group from america in europe and somehow being out of the context allowed him to go oh and then he incorporated a lot but not just that he has he has other you know appalachian spring you know famously he's, he's incorporating stuff from all over the place but that's because Everybody's on the move. I mean, this all these cultures are shifting and mixing and, and coming together. So this this period is from, you know, this whatever 30, 40, 50 year period, 1900, 1940, 1950, however you want to score that. I mean, wow, the the 
migrations and the collisions because of those migrations keep throwing up um, just, well, this is what the literature of the period is exploring um, in part, I mean, to a, to a significant degree. Even someone, I mentioned this in class, even if you look at a, you know, a poet like Robert Frost, who has these very powerful evocations of a sort of rural agrarian past in the East, I mean, one reason Frost continues to resonate, I always think of him as the poet of every possible Christmas card, because he's sort of, not that that's his poetry, but he evokes this world that sort of is what, you know, we imagine Christmas, snowy trees and people, you know, walking, it's very quiet, right? That's that's sort of his milieu. He does much more interesting and in-depth things than that, so it's not a criticism of Frost, but I think his enduring popularity is for a world that even when he was writing was already not the world anymore. I mean, he, he was, he was sort of writing backwards all the time, um, as I mentioned before. So that, you know, that's already when you get to frost, he's looking back, right? I mean, that's, that's the extraordinary, that's how fast this change takes place. Um, most significantly or not most significantly, but hugely significantly, of course, out of this, um, is, you know, the coming of the Harlem Renaissance. And I think this is, you know, important for a number, you know, it's literarily important, but the cultural importance of this is all of a sudden um, you get a largish group of educated African-Americans with resources who can express themselves and you get this just artistic explosion because they're encountering worlds that they hadn't known before either, right? If you are not allowed to have education and you're isolated from the world in an agrarian rural setting, and then whatever your uh, innate domestic um, musical traditions, literary, literary traditions, by the way, which would be almost entirely oral at this point, but never discount the power of oral literary traditions, um, then you move into an urban setting, New York or Chicago, and oh, you in, you begin to encounter this other literature, this other music, these other you know you you go to a museum and like wow, blow your mind, like whoa, look at this, what's going on here, and that um, that impact throws up something like the Harlem Renaissance, which is just this encyclopedia of great writers, performers, dancers, musicians, and we're still living in the out, outgrowth of that. And so, what we're some of the, what we'll be reading will be coming from. Um, the great writers of the Harlem Renaissance. So one thing to keep in mind as you uh, think about this is that what we're reading through at, and when you read this period is a culture that is what, just incredibly fluid. In fact, in some ways, I think this set the pattern. When we talk about the Western migration from earlier, right, you know, the wagon trains going out, and there had been this continual flow west, but I think this just gets accelerated because of industrialization, because of the immigration, because of the internal massive migrations. What was already a fairly mobile, open society just goes mad. I mean, I think this is why when you get to a book like On the Road, it's sort of the apotheosis of, of this possibility of let's just go for no reason, right? Let's just go on the road because that's what we do. Um, so these, these patterns of mobility in our society, of moving around, of, of thinking that something is better over there, these are, these are deep-seated and really just explode right, right at this time period. Um, final note here, but as the immigration from uh, Europe suggests, the, the millions coming in, um, you know, a million a year or so for about 15, 20 years, uh, the, 
this is not just an isolated American event. It's more prominent in America and lots of people coming to America. But because of, again, industrialization, steamships, regularization of trade, now more people are able to see more of the world. And so a version of this is going on all just everywhere, all over the world. People are starting to um, experience greater aspects of, of, of possibilities of life and intellectual stimulation and art forms and writing. And it's all, this is beginning. So while in America, we're just sort of, we're definitely running at the forefront of this and going fast. It is starting to affect all different parts of the world. You know, people are starting to go to China. People are starting to go to Japan. You're starting to get, um, you know, people, Europe, obviously, we're getting more people going to Europe. And you have someone like uh, Henry James complaining about the massive numbers of American tourists that are now showing up in Europe and ruining everything, you know, and writing in 1900, which is hilarious, right? Imagine if he had lived to see uh, just a century later, I think he would be appalled in every possible way. So those changes, which are definitely prominent in the United States, not just isolated the United States. So as we read, and as you think about American cultural history at this time, keep in mind that this is not a, there's not one thing happening, not a couple of major themes, but, you know, this is a, a titanic shift of people in every direction, people coming in, people going north, people going west, people, it's just, uh, everybody's on the march in every direction and all kinds of people. And of course, so hence the result of this is a, just a confusing, dizzying array of, of variation and uh, transformation. Now, curiously, one last note is this is something that's distinctive about Southern literature, um, written primarily, of course, by white authors at this point. They reflect on this and they appeal to tradition. The Southern uh, tradition tends to be more stable about less immigration into the southern area, although there is immigration to southern cities, but also uh, less uh, movement within the South. It's people moving out of the South, not just African-Americans, by the way, but lots of African-Americans moving out of the South. But what stays is the South sort of stays and uh, becomes more concerned about and more uh, reflective of the traditions and their way of life. And I mean, anytime you read Faulkner, of course, is the great example here. Um, you know, there's just, just this long meditations on what is changing, what's happening, what does it mean, you know, ah, you know, what's going on, uh, what's worth saving, what what should we keep? And, uh, you know, those are all, not always like the clear, you know, specific theme, but it seems to be there almost permanently in the background. So we read Barn Burning for um, for the class. And, you know, one of the themes that you definitely see in here is how do you deal with um, a world that's changing from an, uh, an agrarian slave economy to a non-slave economy? And how do people find their place in that? And what's your role? And what's your duties and responsibilities and obligations? And it's just, oh, it's just maddening. And like, oh, you know, it's crazy making when you read it. But it is, you know, it's Faulkner and, and, and those major themes do not change. Um, they, they, they stay there. In fact, in some ways, you can see this reflected in, in discussions today, of, you know, about tradition and Southern way of life in this. I mean, it's been, it's been going along a long time. Um, so yeah, so this is, this is impacting every part of the language. So yeah, three huge migrations going on simultaneously. We've got the Western expansion, definitely to the West Coast and the Southwest. Um, you have the massive immigration from overseas, predominantly. Now, these are people who are not English-speaking, so Italy, uh, Russia, Poland, a lot of Jews. 
Um, and then you have the Great Northward Migration, which starts a little bit after 1900, but is underway and then really becomes a flood once the war economy kicks on. So lecture number two. Thank you very much.